From this chapter comes uh, a great underhanded insult you can make toward referees and umpires if you ever want to insult them to where they don't know that you're insulting them. This is always a good undercover thing. And so they make a bad call and you don't like it. And you just stand up in a very spiritual way and quote, well, John 9, 2, and this is what it says. Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? That's a great thing. It sounds spiritual because you're quoting scripture and it puts down the guy. That's terrible, isn't it? Do this at CRA sometime and see what happens. It makes you feel a little better. Uh, This story in this chapter, as you know, is a guy, he was born blind in this long chapter where he goes, he's given sight by Jesus, but he has to grapple with what does it mean to have spiritual sight? What's it mean? And how do I get used to this? And I love this chapter for especially young people who decide that they need to put on Christ in baptism and they experience this big change. It's supposed to be a big change in their life, but it's very, they're very young and, th- and they have to know there's some challenges coming up. And this, this guy is thrown into a lot of challenge immediately in this one chapter. And this is exactly what Christians have to go through with their eyes open to the truth and then what happens to life when they have that vision. I like what Randy says, and I want to say to young people, and I guess if we have a class about this in the near future with all these new baptized people, one of the things I hope they'll do is what Randy says, write a letter to themselves um, that describes what they were thinking and why they did it, where they were, how they felt, who was there. Put all that stuff in a letter to yourself and then fold it up and put it somewhere that you have it, so that one of these days, you wonder what I was thinking. I wonder what caused me to do that. You have this, your own eyewitness testimony and even other people you can ask. It's like witnesses. But John chapter nine, a guy comes to the truth, right? He comes to, he comes to see Jesus for who he is, but that's only part of the story. Here's the true thing. A person who's a Christian gets converted many times in their life. You think that's true? It's not like it's like, boom, it's all settled, now I'm a Christian, I just live the rest of my life. You get converted more deeply all the time in your life. In fact, you will, almost, you will have such drastic changes in your life from things you now understand that you'll almost call it a totally new conversion. And it's true, that's what it is. But we're in John chapter 9. A man born, uh, was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. I'm gonna, God is going to be glorified in him right now. We're going to work the works of him who sent me while it's day, night's coming when no one can work. So he's about, he's about to experience a God-glorifying change. And the moral of the story is verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Just like he said in chapter, John the Baptist said of him in chapter 1, he said of himself in other places, he's the light of the world. That's the moral of the story. And he's going to give this guy this light. We're going to see what it looks like to live by this light. Now, some things that's interesting about this. Um, This is the kind of miracle, this is one miracle Jesus did more than any other kind in his recorded story of the Gospels. He did a lot of God, but he gave sight to the blind a lot. No one did this in the Old Testament, but Jesus does it here. We never have a recorded time where the disciples ever did this for anybody or anybody had this after the Gospels. 
Jesus is the only one, next slide please, the only one to do this. And here's one of the reasons, right? This is one of the things John says. Everything I include in this story, he gives seven signs in the book of John. He thinks that's enough. John says he did a, a whole bunch of others, and we read about a bunch of others in Mark and Luke and Matthew, but he just picks seven. That's it, just seven. That's, he thinks that's sufficient. And he did this in the presence of the disciples, which are written in this book. But these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. I've, I've chosen seven so that you'll believe he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, you'll choose to follow him as a result of these seven. And the blind man is number six. So this is one of the big seven for John. This is saying something about Jesus that's very, very important. And he's born that way. No one thinks that it can be changed. And the way he records this story, it's a sign for him. The stuff at the beginning, I'm going to be glorified in him. The stuff at the end where he applies it to the Pharisees tells us that John, for him, a sign is not just an event. It's a parable. Go ahead and hit those next ones if you would. Um, it's a parable. I'm not saying it's just a parable, so I don't want anybody to think uh, he's saying this didn't really happen. It happened. It's a historical event. But but many times historical events are used as parables. And so in John 9, he's using this as a parable. And what that means is what Jesus does for the blind man, he wants to do for everybody. He wants to do this for everybody. And he does offer this. But now whether people do this or not, we know the light has come into the world, into a dark world, and the dark world often doesn't want to see it. Many people choose to stay blind. I'd rather stay blind than follow the light Jesus offers. And so there's plenty of people. So when he comes in as the light, there's going to be people who reject it. Moral of the story, I'm the light of the world. What's it going to look like? Now, as a parable, he is saying to us that we're all blind. Listen to... First, Second Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Those who are unbelievers cannot see like this. Everyone's blind at some point. Before you became a Christian, you were spiritually blind. The God of this world blinded you, and Jesus comes along and offers. He's the only one to offer sight, and so he's going to offer it to you, and you're going to have to grapple with what that looks like because when you open your eyes and see things, when the rest of the world is blind, is going to make things confusing for them and conflictual for you. And this chapter conflates it all. This chapter sees the different phases he goes through to be able to use this spiritual sight. He puts it all in one event. You're not going to experience this. This chapter, you are going to experience the events of this chapter, but not all at once on one day in your history like this blind man. This is going to be phases you go through in your entire life, and you're going to go these things and the things that you have to do to navigate them are the same as what this blind man does. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna enjoy the conflation. So number one is this, got this chart. This man has to hear and respond to Jesus. So he said, having said these things, he gets busy. And here we are in verse six, he spit on the ground. It's not the only time Jesus spit. Jesus spit quite a bit. He spit on the ground, he made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. He puts it in the eye sockets. And he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And he went and he washed and he came back seeing, but he still doesn't know what Jesus looks like. Because Jesus wasn't present when he actually received his sight. It's an important feature of the story. 
that Jesus does something, but he never sees Jesus himself. So here's the thing. If you want spiritual sight, there's only one way to get it. Only Jesus can give it to you. And the only way that you can get it is that you hear what he has to say and you believe it and you do it. You respond to what Jesus says. And in this case, it included a washing. And what do you know? For us, it includes a washing too. And you might say, well, I don't understand what baptism's about. I don't understand why that's so important. And it doesn't, I don't know that it matters that you understand why it's important. It's just that you, is it enough that Jesus says you need to? Is it enough that the scripture says, this is what I expect of you, so hear what I say, believe what I say, and do it, and you'll be able to see. And so we need to do the same thing. If you want spiritual sight, you've got to believe Jesus. Then it starts the second phase. He immediately, without Jesus has disappeared, he's going to go through the rest of the bulk of this chapter without Jesus by his side. This is going to be challenging. And so number one for him It says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And they're amazed at this guy. Some said, yeah, that's him. Others said, no, but it's like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. And so they said to them, how then were your eyes open? We've seen you blind all your life. How are your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus, the man, the man called Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He says, I don't know. The first thing you've got to do when this new life of yours is go back to the people who've known you all your life and be different. This may be the hardest thing you have to do. It'd be something if you moved to a new town, became a Christian, nobody ever knew you before. But what you've got to do is you've got to be real and true and genuinely changed around people who knew you before and they see a stark difference and they look at you strange and say, are you the same person? If your conversion doesn't change you into somebody who's a different person, then it's not conversion. Isn't that true? I know it's a Sunday night crowd. But if you make your car convertible, does it look the same as when it's not? It's not the same. And these people are kind of, is that really you? You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I hate doing this, but in ministry, it's like I get used to seeing somebody at a certain location. The worst time this ever happened was at Harding, and I met these people from Fruitland, Missouri, and I got, really got to know them. I ate at their house during a gospel meeting and stuff, and their kids were going to Harding, and then their kids come up to me at Harding, and I have no idea who they are. I'm like, I should know you, but you're not in the right place. You should, I don't know who you are. And they're so upset because I don't even know who they are. Well, I ate at their house, yes, but I only know you in your house. You put you somewhere else. I don't know who you are. Somebody gets a haircut or when George shaves off his beard, I have no idea who, I'm just like, something's different about you, but I can't figure it out. Your braces get taken off. These people are going, we think it's the same guy, but we're not sure. And so they ask him, are you the same guy? I hope that after your conversion, people notice such a change in you. They're going, are you the same person? And the answer is no, I'm not. And then they want to ask you what happened. You lose 15 or 20 pounds. People are going to say, well, you've lost one. Yeah, and then the next question is going to be what? How did it happen, right? 
How, how did it happen? And so they're going to say to you, how do you? So here's the thing. You've got to live your new identity out among the same old folks you always live. But there's something different about you that prompts them to ask the question. And when they do, you tell them the story. And all this blind man does is he quotes what happened to him. There was this man. He thinks Jesus is a man. There was this man who made spit mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go wash. I washed and ta-da, I see. That's my story. So far, so good, right? But they're a little confused, so they're going to bring the Pharisees into it. And here we go to number two. It begins in verse 13. By the way, this is the way it happened, right? Next screen, I think you've got First Peter. This is what First Peter says. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. How are you different? Why are you different? Why would they ask you this? Why would they ask the question? Because they see you different. Why are you different? And you give them an answer. It's the same one as anybody else ever healed. The, the, the man driven, all the evil demons driven out of legion, you know. And he said, I want to go with you. No, don't go with us. Go into town and tell them what the Lord's done for you. All, you don't have to be a theologian right now. You don't have to have all the answers to everybody's questions. All you need to know is what he did for you. And you're an expert on you, so you tell the story. Same for the Samaritan woman at the well. She went into town. Let me just tell you about what he said to me. We need to bear witness. This is called confessing Jesus, right? Not just when you're baptized, but all the time. And so, okay, we, they, they brought the Pharisees. Now, now these people don't know what to think. We don't know what to think about this guy and all his changes. So they bring him to the Pharisees. Gotta, they're going to answer for him, right? And the Pharisees who had, uh, uh, and, um, brought, him, brought the Pharisees to the man formerly known as the blind man. It's kind of like Prince's name when he changed it. Now it was Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Oh, now we've got a new detail. It was a Sabbath day. So the Pharisees again asked him, how did you receive your sight? If we don't know, this is really what this is, is he being confronted with his traditions. That's what this is. He's got to go back with his new vision into an old world with its traditions, and he's got to let Jesus challenge those traditions. We've got to do this. Every Christian has to. You take your new faith into your old world, and now you're going to see how Jesus challenges it. And the Pharisees have two challenges. One of them says, it's on the Sabbath day. So the Pharisees asked him, how'd you receive a sign? He said, he put mud on my eyes, and he tells the story again. I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees says, well, this man's obviously not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. It's not that he doesn't keep the Sabbath. It's that he doesn't keep their Sabbath traditions. It's a difference between keeping Scripture and keeping what people think Scripture is when it's not. There's a big difference but the Pharisees can't see it. So they say, obviously, he's not a man from God. Whoever did this, so this is not like amazing thing. This is sin. But some of the Pharisees said, this man is not for God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But the others said, how can a man who's a sinner do these signs? If he's not from God, how does he give him his sight? It's a great question. The Pharisees can't even come to an agreement. And so they call in the blind man and says, what do you believe? And they said, I believe he's a prophet. Now he's gone from a man. He's not just a man anymore. He's now a prophet, a person sent from God. So the blind man has to, he has to confront his traditions with this new, this new prophet, this man of God in his life. Anybody know what that's like? Peter does. Peter says, I believe you're the Christ. And Jesus says, great. 
Now let me tell you what as the Christ I've got to do. I've got to go suffer and die, be buried, and be raised again. And Peter says, no, 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 time out. That's not right. That's not right. My tradition says you're going to overthrow the Romans. Are you going to let Jesus be Jesus? Or are you going to trump him with your tradition? I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you become a Christian, God rearranges the furniture of your brain. He rearranges what you used to think. Some of the things you've always been taught, Jesus is going to challenge and it's going to give you a headache. That mental, that mental learning is painful and you've got to challenge those traditions you've always been taught and you can do it kindly and gently, but, you, but Jesus is going to challenge that stuff that you've always thought. And that's what this man is facing. He's going to have to hang on to Jesus despite this. So you got some Pharisees saying he can't be from God, and you got some Pharisees saying he must be from God, and they, they reach a stalemate and they ask him, and he says, I believe that he's a prophet. Holding on to who Jesus is when it causes you to have to change what you've always thought, that's hard, but you have to go through this. This is part of you learning to live with your new spiritual sight. And you've got to get this and some traditions some things that you always believed. And that leads to the third challenge. For the second time, all right, verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight. So they're going back to the story itself. They're not even talking about Jesus. We don't think that you were ever blind in the first place. You're not the right guy, verse 18, until they called the parents of the man who'd received his sight, and they asked them, is this your son? who you say was born blind, how then does he now see? And now for the first time, these parents are seeing their son see them. And they can tell that weird look in his eye that was vacant before now has life and recognition in it. For the first time, they're seeing their son who can see them. And they act like the weirdest parents in the history of Scripture. They cannot decide what to think about this guy. Now here's what's happening here. They're going to have to go into a world of skepticism. And our, parents, our kids have to do this. We shelter them as long as we can. We shelter them from the world of skepticism as long as we can. But there's going to come a day when they're going to have to face it head on. And it needs to be while it's in your house, it seems to me. They're going to go into a world that is skeptical about everything that we say is true in here in the few minutes that we're here. And he has to face the skepticism, the looks of strangeness from other people. And the first group is his parents. And by the way, we're told this, that when you become a Christian, many times it puts a sword into families. It causes families to turn on each other. And sometimes families are the hardest context in which to live your new life. And so the first thing they do, there's two things you can do. One is to make him doubt himself. Make the guy doubt that he's really changed at all. And so they bring the parents in, the parents who've always known him, known him the longest for anyone in his life, and they say, how then is he, how then is he uh, able to see now? His parents answered, we know that this is our son. He was born blind, but how he sees now, we have no idea, or who opened his eyes, ask him, he's of age. Listen, if this happens to me, I'm gonna look at him and say, I don't know, but I'm gonna find out, and whoever did it, I'm gonna praise the Lord for him because it's a great, wonderful thing happening in my, my kids' lives. But these parents are like, I might get thrown out of the synagogue if I answer this way, so I think I'm gonna throw my kids under the bus. They don't know what to do with this stuff. So they decide, we don't believe in Jesus, we're just gonna take this kid home. 
The first thing you can do is try to force the new believer back into the mold of the old. Spiritually bully him back to the world that you want him to stay in. That's what the Pharisees do. They want to bully him back into the world of blindness like it was before. The second way you do them do this is maybe make them doubt Jesus himself. And so for the second time they called the man who'd been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They, after, they offer him kind of a chance to renege. Now this sounds strange because it sounds like we're going to praise God with you. But this phrase really comes from Joshua chapter 7. I want you to see this. You may remember they took Jericho pretty easily because God did this miraculous thing. And then they go to AI and AI beats them and they shouldn't. You know, we beat Jonesboro in high school, but then Truman beat us. How does that happen? And that's a little weird. And so uh, because of that, God says, I'm telling you what happened. Somebody took some of the holy things of Jericho for themselves, and I want you to find them. And, and they do this little thing. They take the tribe and the nation and the clan and the family, and they get to Achan. And when they get to Achan, they know who the culprit is. It's Achan himself. And Joshua looks at Achan when he's chosen him, and he says, give glory to the God of Israel. Give praise to him. He's not saying, let's sing Kumbaya together. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, fear God enough to tell the truth, Achan. You need to repent. Tell me now what you've done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan answered, I, I'm the one who sinned against the Lord. I saw this beautiful thing and I stole it. That's what they're saying to the blind man. Give praise, give glory to God. We want to give you a chance to renege on this. We want you to just forget everything that you thought you knew. Just go back into your, your blindness. Go back into the way you used to live and just settle for the way you've always lived it. But guys, once your eyes are open, you can't act blind anymore. Things are all different and you've got to live with that. The parents go mute about their blind son, and the Pharisees try to get him to repent and go back. But I want you to notice what he does to them. So for a second time, they called the man, verse 24, and they had him that was born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Go ahead and repent, because we know he's a sinner. And the blind man now becomes a very powerful preacher. And he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I used to be blind and now I see. And they start getting the story again. What did, he say, what did he say to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already and you're not listening to me. Do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples like me? I love that. He's now become his master. He's gone from man to prophet to person of God. Now he's become his master. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. Crazy, crazy, crazy. They just won't let up on this. But the man won't let up on it either. I know what he's done for me. I'm not a theologian. I can't answer every question. But I know what he's done for me. And what I know is enough to cover what I don't. And maybe that's what our major takeaway is. Is what he's done for you and your life enough to get you to trust him in those areas when you don't know the answers? So they kick him out. of everything that centers Jewish life, the synagogue. He has to suffer the costs and consequences of his faith. 
You look at these things and what happens is this, we have to go through every one of these phases ourselves. We have to change with our conversion. We have to go and live it in confession before people who knew us before and we've got to let that new life speak for itself and defend it with just saying and what he's done for us. We've got to go back to our old traditions and things we've always thought, not just in church, but in life and about life in general and about the things we live by. And we've got to let him be the one who dictates what that is. And it's always going to rearrange the furniture of your life. You've got to face skeptics who don't believe it and are going to pressure you back to the way of life you used to have or make you question Jesus altogether, and they're going to try to compromise both. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to stand on it and say, he is a man of God, and he is my Lord. I am his disciple, and it's going to cost you something. If our faith doesn't cost us something, then it's not worth anything. And a lot of times I think we rally around each other and say, our faith shouldn't cost us anything. Too bad, that's so sad, let's really, let's support you. Yeah, it should, it will. It always does. That's what learning to live by a new spiritual sight does. You start looking around seeing that the way people are living is not the best way of life. You used to be there, you used to do it, but you don't believe that anymore. You see it different than you used to and it's gonna cost you something. Are you his disciple? And so Jesus finds him, verse 35. Jesus heard they cast him out. Having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Again, he's never seen Jesus with his own new eyes. And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him now, and it's he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. He settled it. Even if it costs me this, even if it causes friction at home, even if all the religious leaders I've ever looked up to as my guides I think are wrong, even if all this happens, even if my friends and neighbors I've known all my life reject me, I'm going to worship the Lord and God is glorified. The man heard, the man believed and obeyed Jesus despite all kinds of challenges and he walks through every level. And he keeps holding on to the story he knows. And he grows in strength and fortitude of his faith. And when he gets to the end of it, then and only then, is he really a disciple who worships the Lord. Do we believe? Are we here to worship him? Are we willing to live out what we worship even if it costs us something this week? even if we get weird stares from people who used to know us well. If we have our spiritual sight, we really know what Jesus has done for us, we will. Jesus that day gave sight to the blind man. The question now is, have you gotten your spiritual sight? Have you seen him? Do you know who he is? Are you willing to hang on to that despite the challenges you're going to face? I hope that we have. Hope that we continue to, and that vision gets clearer and clearer and clearer with time. One of these days, we're going to see him as he is. We're going to see ourselves as we are. But until then, just keep seeing the truth of the scriptures of Jesus. If there's anyone who's never responded, now you see him. 
you want to hear and obey what he has to say and become his disciple, this evening is a great time to do it as we stand and as we sing together.